Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. This is Drew. What's shaking, everybody? Hey, hey, what's going on, y'all? So, this week, we are going to continue with our read-through of the series Invincible by Robert Kirkman and Ryan Otley. Drew, you want to give them a little bit of details in terms of uh, what year we're on and any other creative individuals that participated? So this time around, we're in year 11, the penultimate year of Invincible. We're covering issues 121 through 132. Invincible is created by Robert Kirkman and Corey Walker. Written by Robert Kirkman, issues 126, 121 to 126 were penciled by Ryan Otley. Half of those were inked by Cliff Rathburn. Issues 127 to 132 were penciled and inked by Corey Walker. The Ryan Otley issues were colored by Jean-Francois Beaulieu. The Corey Walker issues were colored by Nathan Fairbairn. And Russ Wooten was the letterer. Sean Makovich was the editor. So yeah, this is issues 121 through 132. Good amount of stuff happened. You want to give a brief synopsis or a summary of these issues, Albert? Uh, I'll I'll try my best. I mean, it's like you said, a lot of things happened here, so... I guess that's kind of par for the course. There's always a lot of stuff happening in Vincible. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the, the main thing to establish is that at the end of the last year, uh, Mark and Adam Eve have decided to try to live a new life away from earth the earth that's been essentially taken over by uh rex slash robot and Mm -hmm. they're just adjusting to their new life living on the co uh, on the coalition homeworld and that's where we start off when 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 the book uh when year 11 starts and uh one of the deals that mark works out with uh alan alan the alien is that as part of his new life on the planet on on the on the homeworld of the coalition he occasionally gets sent out on missions for for alan uh one of the other uh dangling plot threads that we were left with was the fact that thrag the exiled uh um Viltrumite, oh, the the exiled Viltrumite king from uh their the exiled Viltrumite king. It turns out he's out in space, just mad breeding like crazy, <laughs> <laughs> and he's basically you know spawning an entire army of hyper aging uh half Viltrumite uh soldiers in in his attempt to retake his throne and to well conquer the universe i guess yeah yeah and that's that's essentially where we left off uh year 11 uh covers a lot of different things that happens but are, just to clarify, are we are we going to spoil territory, or am I just giving like a brief? 
No, we can just spoil it, man. Okay, okay. It's a, it's a read-through. I'm, okay, I'm pretty so... sure if people are listening to us now, they've, they've probably read it as well. Unless they specifically listen to us talk about Invincible so they don't have to read it. I mean, either way, we achieve our goal of being listened to. That's the only thing I care about. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only I... thing that matters in life. <laughs> I want my I, existence to be acknowledged. Exactly. Because I'm that insecure. <laughs> <laughs> if if someone will listen as long like if if they'll listen if, even though all I'm doing is reading spaghetti ingredients, you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's some form of acknowledgement. Exactly. It's more than I've ever gotten. Uh, so, <laughs> so year 11 is about more, uh, part of year 11 is about them adjusting to their new life under these new circumstances. Uh, you know, we see Adam Eve dealing with just how, with, with the reality of her situation and just how bizarre and alien everything is to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and over while that's going on, um, Mark is also, you know, adjusting to his life as an agent of the coalition. Mm-hmm. And he gets sent out on a mission um, where what ends up happening to him is he encounters this entity that basically takes him back to the beginning of the series uh he's still himself he still has all his memories but now he has to relive his life all over again Mm -hmm. and so we see um we see scenes happening again that happened previously in the series but now that he he's coming at it with his uh mature with his with with his brain and memories from his current life, he can approach all those situations differently with drastically different outcomes. And even though he's saving a whole lot of lives and even though he's making all these changes, you know, changes to things that he didn't quite get right the first time around, he still lives with this this ache and this sadness knowing that somewhere out there in the future his wife and his child are still there you know yeah um eventually all this knowledge from the future while he lives through his past again and it's almost like having cheat codes yeah yeah like he he does everything and he speeds it up you know, because he just knows what the outcomes are going to be. And it's totally like cheat codes, you know? Yeah, he, he stops his dad from killing the the guardians, guardians of, the globe. of the globe. Yeah. And then he makes his peace with, um, what's the old guy's name? Uh, the one Cecil? Who, yeah, he makes his peace, peace with Cecil a lot earlier and really integrates himself into Cecil's entire apparatus 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but all the while, while that's all happening, eventually it's revealed that this alien entity thrust him back into the past in order to offer him the opportunity to make that, I guess, the real reality. Or at least his reality. Yeah, his reality. It was and, a chance for Mark to to do things right or, you know, do things over. Yeah. Essentially. And, and better, even. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do things even better. Yeah. And in spite of all that, in spite of the promise of all that, Mark doesn't even hesitate. And he just goes, no, I, I don't want that life. I don't want that opportunity. I want to go back to the life that that was. And that includes all of the people that I accidentally allowed to die with dinosaurus. That. Mm-hmm includes all the mistakes that allowed other people to die uh throughout the courses throughout the course of all his other adventures things that he could have uh fixed yeah but he chose not to not to take that chance not to take that opportunity because he knows that even if he ends up with Adam Eve again and they have another child it won't be the child that they had in in their present yeah, it won't be Terra. Yeah. And there there's a pivotal moment where the alien entity straight up asks him, you would allow the countless deaths you could prevent to occur just to save one life? And he says, yes, I would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that goes back to that idea that we've been noticing crop up in the past couple volumes of Invincible where it's like would you sacrifice or do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few and in this case it clearly didn't they clearly didn't <laughs> nope <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's almost it's almost as good as albert's policy of the needs of the me outweigh the needs <laughs> of the any <laughs> uh yeah but um yeah and and that's so they the the alien species or i don't even know if they're alien these beings they they acknowledge his decision and they send him back but it sounds like there are going to be some pretty dire consequences to that uh choice um there's like some foreboding there you know yeah i mean the the alien entity just tells him that he's doomed the world, you know, the the past world that he just lived through and that he's a disgrace and then it spits him back out. And then the f- other uh, big twist is that after he comes back out into the his old time his his real timeline, he yeah. learns that several years have passed and his his baby daughter is now I don't know like 5 or 6 years old. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She's aged up, mm-hmm. as they do in comics. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's a pretty heart-wrenching scene, because uh, he sees his daughter, and, you know, she's alive, she's there, and she's able to communicate with him, but he's just tearing up, because he's like, 
I've I lost like five years of life with her, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. many things that I didn't get to see or experience. Yeah, he was he was pretty messed up by that revel by that uh, realization. Yeah, it's a pretty heart wrenching thing to have happened to somebody. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, and I'm going to move on to the the next trade that followed it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So, yeah, this one was a pretty pretty quick uh, uh, chunk of stories, but there was a lot that happened there. So, part of uh, part of what happens after that is again just uh, Mark readjusting himself to this this new life this new uh reality um you know uh re-engaging with all of the characters all of the people that he knew but the fact being that they're five years have passed for them so they've changed as people as well you know mm-hmm. so his brother is now like a full-grown man you know yeah like yeah and he you know he's even rocking his own mustache he's you know know, he like before they they kind of looked like they were the same age but yeah like he's just straight up uh uh, an adult now and i guess that's that's a pretty weird change in their dynamic and on top of that he's he also has to deal with the fact that um, there's a revelation that Adam Adam Eve thought he was dead in this time period uh, in the in the five years that he was missing, mm-hmm. and it turns out that while that was happening, while she, you know while he was missing for a brief period in time, she ended up having another relationship with somebody else. You know? Yeah. So he's just being pummeled with a lot here you know mm-hmm. uh, between you know realizing that his daughter has uh grown up while he was gone and you know that he's missed all those years and on top of that uh his wife the woman that he loved for him it just felt like you know a few hours or whatever or i don't even know if that's the case but it didn't feel like it was five years. Five years, yeah. Right? It it felt briefer than that, but he came back only to realize that, yeah, life had moved on without him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in addition to that, uh, the circumstances in the world have changed as well because uh, Thrag and his hybrid army not only do these aliens age at an accelerated rate because they're from the their moms are all the same race as oliver's mom yeah these these insect beings that have just hyper accelerated life lifespans right so their hyper accelerated lifespan combined with the longevity of a viltrumite makes it 
makes them pretty long-lived by human standards, but short-lived by Viltrumite standards, you know? Yeah. So they age super fast, they get their power super quick, and yeah, and they still live a super long time. Maybe not as long as a full-blooded Viltrumite, but a long time nonetheless, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that five years that uh, that Mark lost, that was five years where his his kids, his his army of kids all grew to become not quite adults, but they're old enough to do some damage. They're a bunch of teenagers with attitude. Yeah, yeah. The worst kind of human being in existence. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing worse than a child molester is a teenager. <laughs> The teenager with attitude. The teenager that would have been molested by that child molester <laughs> is substantially worse than that child molester. <laughs> yeah. So, so a lot of uh, the story in this second arc um, revolves around Mark, you know, getting to know his daughter now that she's capable of interacting and talking with him you know mm-hmm. but all the while um the experiences that he's had the it, it sort of made him gun shy the the five years that he's ended up missing have made so prior to that experience he was already on this course where he was becoming more reclusive or yeah, I guess reclusive is the word, uh, but or shying away from his responsibility or or from the idea of being a superhero, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there was that one story where he went after Angstrom Levy and only to be betrayed by Robot. And as a result, he came back only to feel, you know... It, it was an it was an example of him following his heroic ideal and him suffering the consequences of yeah. that, right? So mm-hmm. he was already kind of hesitant to continue being a superhero after that, but him losing five years because of this just made him even more reclusive because they end up him and Adam Eve and Tara end up leaving even the Coalition homeworld to find this completely abandoned planet where they would just live on their own, you know? Basically hide out. Yeah. So while all that's happening, while they're all just, while he's just turned away from all this, uh, Thrag and his army are just really accelerating uh, their, I guess their uh expansion into into the galaxy or you know yeah 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 they're out trying to conquer worlds yeah so the coalition is in a pretty bad place uh you know there's infighting in the coalition as as they're all trying to decide what to do uh how to how to deal with the the threat that thrag is posing but uh 
there's also the external threat of just Thrag's army. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and on top of that, all the stuff on Earth has progressed where Robot is in pretty much total control now. Like, he's unchallenged. Even uh, Mark's dad and the Viltrumites on the moon, they have this kind of alliance with Robot on Earth. He considers Robot a friend. Yeah. Yeah. He calls him a friend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then you got a few... I think some of the remaining heroes are... They they don't... Maybe they don't openly oppose Robot, but it kind of feels like there might be some kind of underground resistance, maybe, because Monster Girl and her son, the Immortal duplicate and uh, you know a couple of those other guys whose names i don't remember they when we saw them before the five-year jump they ended up uh not going along with robots plan and i'm not sure if i don't remember if they cleared that up at all other than to show you show us that in the interim during those five years they they've still helped to save earth from you know various invasions and whatnot but it, it seems like if they still oppose robot there isn't really much that they can do or that they yeah. have done because he's essentially unopposed but the earth is i guess safer in terms of crime and yeah protecting people and uh i'm sure i'm sure uh the economy's doing well so you know, if you like places where the trains run on time, too, I, I bet that's a great planet to live on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and time and time again, and again, they they just mention uh, just how much better their lives are. And, um, you know, Rex has, Rex slash robot has been given several opportunities to you know lay his claim as ruler of the world but he chooses not to so it just it's just a really muddy situation where what he did to get there was pretty bad but as time goes on and as people realize that the benefits like what's done is done and that the benefits are um more appealing than they mm -hmm. want to admit yeah they're they're basically as time goes on they're basically in a position where do we really want to mess this up you know right yeah, yeah. i yeah. guess it's it, it goes back to that idea of is safety worth the cost of I don't know, freedom or just the truth, really. I mean, it. I guess people still have their freedom, but it's all founded on a lot of bloodshed. Yeah, it kind of it. That was one thought that I had when I was reading that, though. It's sort of the the anti Rorschach from Watchmen, you know. Mm -hmm. It's the antithesis of of his whole ethos, which was even in the face of Armageddon, never compromise. Yeah. And this this storyline just kind of takes the complete opposite track, which is 
Is it so bad? Compromise in the face of our (laughs) Are things really that bad? (laughs) Always compromise. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point to bring up Rorschach and Watchmen because that's obviously being one of the most uh, iconic and influential superhero comics of all time and probably the greatest as well. Yeah. For for Invincible to take a similar idea as what happened at the end of Watchmen. It inverts it. Yeah, it's a total inversion. It's, it's another example of Invincible taking a lot of commonly used superhero tropes and ideas and concepts yeah. and just giving their own spin on it. Yeah. It, it's I just think... familiar enough that it feels like we've seen something like it or similar to it, but just that little twist of things actually, I guess the little twist of all the other heroes deciding, Hey, this, this is, you know, not a, not necessarily the worst thing to happen to the planet. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's interesting, man. It it definitely makes, makes you wonder how that's going to play out. Like, is this just too good to be true or, or is this really, has Rex robot really ushered in utopia? utopia. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's now that I'm thinking about it, it it does totally. Yeah. So, you know, spoilers for Watchmen, but (laughs) the the end of Watchmen is ends with the revelation that the world's smartest man has. uh, He saved Earth from hell, man. And he's brought her into a new utopia. Exactly. He he did he played the ultimate trick on humanity in order to uh force them force the entire human species to uh force them to basically guess, put aside their differences yeah and, put aside you know exactly yeah cooperate for the mutual good of humanity as a whole in order yeah. to because there you know there's something out there that's an even greater threat that can't be like the alien thing like yeah. people wouldn't the world wouldn't be able to survive something like that if the world didn't stand together exactly and Rorschach is, whole, it's it's funny because uh sorry I don't want to cut you off go ahead go ahead go ahead well okay so uh, cuz that's what I was going to say it was like Rorschach's whole role in in that story was the idea that he was the one person that knew the truth or not, one of the few people that knew the truth. And he did the heroic thing, which was he was willing to die uh, to preserve that truth. And in this story, the truth known to everybody, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he was even if nobody believed him, he 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 had that ideal. Right. Which was. <laughs> I'm going to commit to this because that's what heroes do. Mm-hmm. Right. And here in, in invincible, like Rex had a ploy that, you know, got a bunch of heroes killed and tricked the whole world into becoming this utopia. But again, the, the, 
the the track seems to be is comp like everybody else seems to be getting on the page that maybe compromising isn't such a bad thing, right? Yeah. It's yeah, so that is a pretty weird and pretty interesting juxtaposition when you think about it. Yeah. Especially for for those of us who've read tons of superhero comics. Yeah. This this isn't usually how it ends up. Yeah. Usually the heroes again, like I, I think we mentioned this in a previous episode, but usually the heroes rally and then they decide we have to go down fighting or we have to like yeah. strike we, we've back. We've got to overthrow this tyrant, basically. Yeah. yeah. What I was going to say earlier when we were discussing the ending of Watchmen and how the world comes together because of an alien threat, I was going to say there's something funny about that ending now because it it's a people don't give Watchmen enough credit for being a really optimistic story. <laughs> because can you imagine in our world, in real life? Look at that story and they look us. at how like ugly and dark the people are. The solution is that humanity will put aside their differences and do what's right. And right, having right. lived in real there's society... A, there's a global <laughs> pandemic, and it just kind of exacerbated everybody's differences. Yeah. We hate each other more than ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, see... People always said Alan Moore's writing was too cynical or pessimistic. Dude was super optimistic, man. Seriously. <laughs> Give him some credit, man. For real. Uh, yeah, but the the second book, eventually, um, all of these things, all of these various elements culminate with the, with the revelation that Oliver is actually secretly working with Thrag. Um, I don't really... I, I wasn't really... I, I assume he just wanted to get into Thrag's good graces because he... In in the five years that, that have passed, he's become sympathetic to Thrag's uh, goals, right? And... The the last portion of the book is about how Thrag wants to keep Mark Grayson out of the fray so that he can continue his plans for uh, total domination. But in addition to that, he he has a special place of hate in his heart for Mark Grayson for for their for the Grayson family, you know. Yeah. And yeah. he wants to personally take a hand in killing Mark, Adam, Eve, and their child. Mm -hmm. And that's what the final chunk of uh, that second trade was about, is just the fight that they get into, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was a... That, that story arc, I thought, was not quite as philosophical but it was definitely one of the more emotional stories that we've read yeah like there was yeah. something about it where you felt the, the stakes of it all yeah the, the stakes definitely because it it was it was thrag and his and two of his teenage brats attacking mark adam eve 
and young Tara, and she's just, you know, a five or six year old and doesn't have any uh, special powers at that point. They're going to, you know, make her suffer and rip her apart and whatnot. That's like one of the most fearful things that any parent could ever experience, you know, just to, to know that someone, someone evil wants to hurt your child and make you watch and all that. So uh, I, f- I felt the the tension, man. It was this whole this whole year's worth of issues. Here, here's the thing, man. Usually whenever we prepare for our uh, read-through episodes, I, I usually read a couple issues a night leading up to the, the day that we record our episode. Uh-huh. But for whatever reason, man, like when I started reading issue 121, I read the whole thing in one sitting. <laughs> yeah, I I actually did... Uh, I didn't read the second trade, but I, I certainly finished the first trade in one sitting. And then the next day I finished the second trade. But yeah. that's faster than I usually do it as well. Interesting. Yeah, I guess there was just something more gripping or just something extremely compelling about these stories. It, it was pretty fast paced too. Like the, especially yeah. the second arc, it was pretty fast paced. Yeah. Well, so it was I, interesting to, to consider how it compelled us to, to read faster than we normally read. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was going to say was I, I do think there's something to having knowledge in the back of my mind that this is, that we're coming close to the end. Yeah, that does that does make me feel an extra sense of urgency, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, there's definitely a sense of urgency now. Yeah. I was doing some research earlier to to look back at when they announced Invincible was going to end, and from what I can tell, right around like right before issue one thirty was released Kirkman announced that the series would end with issue 144 so he gave people a chance to kind of gird their loins and prepare themselves for the end that was going to come I thought it was interesting to see the reasoning as well Uh, you know this is something that you can look up online if you're really interested but I'll just kind of give the a paraphrase or a summary of what he had said, but basically he mentioned how Invincible, at one point he imagined it being a series that would just go on indefinitely, not necessarily written by him and drawn by Otley, but he imagined it being something like Detective Comics or Amazing Spider-Man or whatever, you know, like a corporate cape comic that just will never end, but different creative teams will come on board and do their take on on the character and, and do runs. So that, that was actually something he had imagined at one point, but eventually he and Otley decided that if, if one of the themes of Invincible is that it's going to take the tropes and the familiar concepts of corporate cape comics, but give a new twist on them, one of the twists that they had to do was to give the series an ending because Superman and the X-Men and Fantastic Four and all that, those stories are never going to end. You know, those comics are going to keep on continuing until, I don't know, 
they'll probably just keep on continuing for an indefinite amount of time. You know, they'll outlive everybody who's working on them right now. So for Invincible to get an ending, that would be something different than the norm when it comes to superhero comics. And by giving an ending, uh, by announcing the ending, I, th- I think I, because I wasn't reading the issues as they were coming out, um, but because as we're reading them now, we we know we've only got a handful of issues left. There's there's definitely a sense that uh, I want to see what's gonna happen you know how's everything going to play out because with only 12 issues left it kind of feels like there's a lot of story that they could tell but now i get the sense that there's probably going to be a lot more untold stories because if they just focus on you know the primary plot points and hit the emotional beats that i think that they're gonna aim for you know there's it's not going to be there's, it's it's a pretty sprawling universe that they've created, so I I don't think some tiny little plot thread from two years ago is really gonna crop up again in the in the last year, you know? Yeah, I kind of had the same feeling because I was um, I was looking at some of the plot threads that they never fully resolved, some things that they had built up. And uh, one of the stories that they were working on was um, was that Angstrom Levy, the last time we see him, uh, there was a revelation that there were these other beings that were mm-hmm. orchestrating uh, They the had immense. repaired him in the past when he had gotten injured. Exactly. They had repaired him, and they – it was – it was impl- I, it was implied that there was going to be more story with those guys that they were going to plan something big or that mm-hmm. they were going to somehow play a big role in Mark's life and in this year's worth of stories what we end up seeing is that Omni-Man and Robot and Earth go to war with them and mm-hmm. it's one of the most severe wars that they've had in a very long time uh they win but uh that that kind of resolves the story with these beings i forget what they were called but i remember reading that and thinking oh they they just kind of resolved that story plot off off panel you know well technically it was one panel <laughs> well okay one panel <laughs> fine but yeah it, so it i mean it's not something where I was upset that they had done it that way, but it was definitely something I noticed, and it it did make me wonder if they had just rushed it, or if if you that think was they lost interest. Maybe I mean I don't know if they lost interest, but again I I just. I just wonder if they just wanted to just get that out there just to get it out of the way or what, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not necessarily something that I have an answer for, but again, it's something that I observed and I can't help but wonder or 
or ask myself why they did what they did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, until you pointed that out, I had kind of forgotten about those guys. Yeah. But now that you brought it up, it it definitely does kind of call into question if that was their original plan or if it was one of those situations where he had no real interest in revisiting those guys, but, you know, just kind of threw them through us a bone just so we could see that, you know, their, their story is done with, and maybe he wasn't too interested in, in doing a drawn out kind of story, but at least there's some kind of uh, closure yeah, for, for us, so it's not yeah, so it's not completely left dangling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I feel like <laughs> if I ever was, uh, you know, if I ever had a chance to talk to Robert Kirkman, part of me would want to ask that, but part of me doesn't know if I really want to be that kind of a fan either. What kind uh, of a fan? It reminds me of this episode of The Simpsons where it was a Halloween episode and um, these fan. it was about how these fans were talking to Xena Warrior Princess and um, <laughs> one of the fans was asking her how in one scene she was riding a Clydesdale and but in another scene it was an Appaloosa, you know, two different kinds of horses. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very specific kind of question. And Xena was just like, Every time you notice a change like that, a wizard did it. <laughs> that was her answer, you know? So I just don't want, like, I I would kind of want to ask Robert Kirkman about that, but I also wouldn't because I, I wouldn't want to necessarily come off that way. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, that that is pretty funny. It, it's, I guess it's, uh, it, if you, if you asked Kirkman something like that, he might think that you're, one of those anal fans, maybe. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just be like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> uh, yeah, so did you have any thoughts about any of the particular plot lines or story elements that jumped out at you this year uh, in, in this year's stories? Let's see. Well, going in... In terms of what happened in the earlier issues of this run, one of the things that stood out to me was what happened to the heroes on Earth. Because at the very, in issue 121, they orchestrate a kind of a prison break. And even after that, some of them decide to go back to Rex Robot because he he kind of gives them an opportunity to see his point of view while the other group of heroes who isn't interested in giving him a chance, he feels so confident in himself that he's willing to let them go free as long as they don't actively operate against him. And, of course, there's that five-year gap later on. So I am curious as to what ended up happening to to Monster Girl and her son, because it, it kind of felt like they would be the ones who would oppose Rex the most. Like yeah. when they're escaping the prison, they they finally have this moment where where he's like, you finally recognize what kind of person he is. You yeah. know? 
and and then uh, they're they're together again as as mother or I guess father and son. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a situation where I'm interested in seeing if if they come back in the last year. It yeah. Like again, it it maybe it's something that isn't as major of a development as Thrag and the Viltrumites attacking Mark. But because I guess because I've already got an affinity for Monster Girl and Robot, I'm really interested to see how that whole situation gets resolved. If if there is anything more to come uh, in that storyline. Yeah. And I mean, additionally, on top of that, um, like, I remember there was a line that Rex gives where it's 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 a pretty short line, but where he mentions uh, Monster Girl and his son, and he says, I think he said something to the effect of even they don't like actively resist me. You know, they're like I can even call on them to help when we mm-hmm. need them. You know, mm-hmm. and it sort of just kind of de-escalates and defangs whatever animosity exists between them you know it almost seems like they begrudgingly coexist with one another right yeah taken at face value at least from his point of view part of me does wonder in terms of other plot elements there's go ahead i'm sorry oh i was just gonna say part of me does wonder if they're just biding their time yeah and there's also the added element of that entire species from that universe that that aged super fast, right? Mm-hmm. Like that royal family, from what I remember, they're still around. There's their species still exist in some numbers, right? Yeah, in so, that other dimension. In that other dimension, exactly. So, you know, that's not fully resolved in and of itself because they're they're. There's such a their their timeline is so accelerated that you know within a few years generations have passed and they could very easily just replenish their numbers. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, speaking of just other other things, where it it did feel like. There were some story elements that were sped up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, like, clearly there was that five-year uh, flash forward for Mark, right? Yeah. But there's something about Oliver's heel turn. Like, for the dramatic effect of that was well done. I was, you know, surprised by it. Yeah. But... I don't know. There's something about not getting the backstory to how he ended up being that way that does make me does leave me feeling a little empty, you know. Hmm. And then when when Thrag kills him and just kind of ends that, it yeah, like there was something about that 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 just felt like it was just kind of dangling there, you know. Were you emotionally? unsatisfied uh i i think unsatisfied is a strong might be too strong a word like i was 
like I said, the the revelation that Oliver, uh, you know, in his current state, had decided to betray uh, Mark and the coalition. It's mm-hmm. you know, for the sake of the story, that was a nice plot twist. But again, like in the moment, it was it was like a surprise. It was a shock, but. Mm-hmm. After having read it, uh, you know, having read these issues and having sat with it for a while, I will say that it it didn't feel. I guess I didn't get everything that I needed from it. You know, like if I feel like if they had done an issue or something that could flash back to to a moment. decision you know if there was mm-hmm. some sort of inciting event that why he chose to do what he did maybe yeah. that would i i think that would do something that would go a long way towards helping me feel like this was a real like this was a feasibly real thing that happened you know or uh for the story for the sake it would make it believable i guess you know but what do you mean by again, believable well, not believable, but it would, I guess it would flesh out the details of the story more, you know? Mm-hmm. Right? Do you, I mean, do you think Oliver's death needed more of a buildup? Was it too abrupt? That's the thing. So when I stop and really think about it, I, I don't think it was too abrupt, but I do, I think it was a little abrupt. It was abrupt enough uh-huh. where where I noticed it. Yeah. It it kind of made me crick my eye a little bit. But it wasn't like the most egregious sudden death that I've ever read, right? It's not it's not someone walking outside the door only to get hit by a moving truck or something. <laughs> right? It's, yeah. not, it's not Wiley Coyote or whatever. Yeah. So, so it wasn't like the hardest thing in the world to believe, but I guess there was a part of me that was just unsatisfied enough where I do wish there was just a little bit more information on that, you know? Sure, sure. I can yeah. understand that, yeah. Like, what'd you think of Oliver's death and or even his betrayal? I thought at first when it seemed like he had completely betrayed Mark and the coalition. I was, I was kind of annoyed at him as a character. Understandable. Yeah. It's like totally dude, understandable. after everything that you've been through, how you do them like this, you know, that's, yeah. that's straight that messed changed. up. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, uh, at the end though, when, when he realized that Thrag was seriously going to kill Tara and Mark and Adam Eve, he stood by his family and he tried to protect them. So there was definitely some heroism there. And even then, it it might have been one of those things where Oliver was kind of playing Thrag all along. Because uh-huh. wasn't, wasn't, wasn't there something about how Alan 
was using him to like keep tabs on on Thrag. Oh, a line. Alan the alien. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you're saying was there a line that he said? Uh, I well, actually, I, 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 I thought think I remember I, that. I thought I remembered something like that where where Alan knew that Oliver was talking to Thrag and basically was using Oliver to get information on Thrag's movements and whatnot. Uh, I mean, I'd have to flip through through the comic again to see if I'm remembering it correctly. That's interesting, because I, I think I remember that line too, but I just took it to mean that it was his... Like, I didn't tie that line to what to what he was doing i mean i guess i guess there's enough uh wiggle room in there that you could say that oliver keeping tabs on him meant faking a betrayal Mm -hmm. but i'm not yeah i wasn't a i wasn't a hundred percent sure of that right it's it's a little ambiguous you know? I, yeah, I could be misremembering it too. I'd I'd have to flip through the comic again. Yeah. But it, it it's it's still either way though, it's still a pretty sad moment to see Oliver buy it. And yeah. uh at the very least we saw that he, he died on the on the right side, you know, like after all yeah. the things throughout the series where he's he's had his differences with Mark in terms of uh, looking at humanity as something that isn't really worth his time or effort and just the, the general coldness. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he still cared about his brother and was yeah. going to stand up against someone who was way stronger than him. Something funny about, about that that ending though um because oliver gets punched in the chest and he dies but mark well thrag just straight straight up rips him in half yeah yeah and mark was able to come back from that yeah apparently there was still just enough life there where adam eve could restore the both of them but oliver had been dead too long (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know yeah that, that's a real comic booky moment right there <laughs> pretty inconvenient timing for oliver ain't it yeah if he had just had just an, an ounce of life left more in him he would have been just fine yeah <laughs> uh, i will say one of the most satisfying moments of the entire series so far was when Thrag was threatening to kill Tara and Mark is holding up one of the one of his teenage sons up by the neck and you know they're in a standoff basically and Thrag says he doesn't he doesn't actually think that Mark will kill him because Mark's weakness is that he's heroic he's and Mark just the villain speech <laughs> yeah yeah and then Mark just snaps that kid's head off <laughs> yeah I don't know why I enjoyed that so much. No, it's satisfying. It's satisfying. It's, it's, yeah, you're right to feel satisfied there. Cause yeah. that guy was a snot. That little kid was a bastard. 
Yeah, he didn't deserve to live. <laughs> yeah. So, there we go. Yeah, I also really liked how the Cory Walker issues did a great job making making us care about Tara. Like she she's an adorable little kid, man. Like that was that was a fun uh, few issues to read. Just them as a family. Yeah. Basically, just spending time with each other. It's almost like uh, it wasn't really anything too fantastical just them spending time with each other there was a page where you know they're or there's a scene where they're reading a story together and then you know they go on a trip in space to go visit earth with each other and stuff like that it, it's they're coloring together yeah like little moments like that really yeah, just really really humanizes out. all of them yeah makes you makes you care about the little girl so when sh- when they're finally attacking her and her life is in danger and she's just crying because she's so scared you know i felt something when i was reading that it was it was something where i was like oh man i gotta keep turning the page i gotta i gotta see what's gonna happen you know like i don't want something awful to happen to her yeah yeah it's just one of There's those also... moments that that really gets you emotionally yeah and you know we we often talk about like how like bloody this book is and how mm-hmm. gory and visceral it is and there's this moment where tara is a uh, where thrag and oliver f- are fighting and tara is trying to you know she's just a little kid but she wants to in, in a in a moment of passion she wants to do what she can to help and mm-hmm. she like just straight up kicks thrag and her leg gets all twisted and broken yeah yeah it's it's a moment where although this is a really like gory and violent book at times it's like i'm I'm glad that they didn't like reduce her to a pulp there (laughs) yeah same here man But, but but you know they still did show that um you know there was some sort of seriously injured yeah she got seriously injured right even though she wasn't bleeding and uh just mashed up so it was a a good uh visual choice on their part to 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 show that without just messing her up you know yeah yeah the art cory walker's art is exceptionally good it's his i think his style is quite a bit softer than otley's style and it really suits the storyline because he's able to draw Tara in this really adorable way. And, you know, the expressions that he draws on, on their faces, like there's a scene where she's playing catch with Mark right before they get attacked. It's it's really good expressions, man. It's it's the kind of thing that that even if they took out all the words from the page you would know exactly what they're saying to each other you know exactly what their emotions are at, at that given moment it's it's really well done man like the art does a, a great job telling the story even other things throughout cory walker's run i really liked um funny little details like when they go see mark's dad omni man's mustaches uh i forget what you call it like 
is it handlebars or i don't know it, it's the kind of kind of yeah. facial hair where it's not just a mustache but it also kind of goes down the sides of his uh like towards his chin but it's not a full-on goatee yeah 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 i know what you mean um he wants to say it's like a burn side but i don't think that's right you know what it really looked like? It it made me think of James Syme from the Isotope Lounge. <laughs> from Isotope Comics. <laughs> totally, Actually, that's totally might... James's facial hair, man. <laughs> Burnside. Yeah. It's just well, a lot of um yeah, really really well done artwork in the the coloring in in these issues is strong too. I, I think a couple volumes ago, there there had been some colorists that I wasn't too impressed with, but Nathan Fairbairn, he's definitely one of the best colorists working right now in in comics. You know, he's someone that you see in in various books. And then uh, I don't really remember who Jean Francois. Beaulieu is but but uh he did a good job too like there's there's definitely a sense of vibrancy to the colors in 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 this run that makes it just appealing to look at lots of uh especially with the Fairbairn issues it's a lot of flatter colors and interesting pinks and pastels it looks different from your typical jobber comics you know yeah yeah did you have any thoughts on anything else in these stories, Albert? I wanted to go over some of the other revelations that they went uh that they put out there uh over the course of this year. I think one of the big there's a one big moment where um Mark and Adam and Tara go back to Earth, or yeah, they go back to Earth. They go to meet with Omni Man, and they're having a, a, you know, just reassessing uh, the reevaluating the the circumstances because Earth has been silent because of. Uh, mm -hmm. And when while they're catching up, um, you know, with Mark having been gone for five years. What's up? Is that her name? Sorry, can you say that again? Uh, the the Viltrumite Anissa shows up. Was that her name? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, she, that's right. Yeah, that was another uh, big interaction in in this in these issues because she was the one yeah. who uh, she uh, ravaged. Hello. Yeah, I was waiting waiting for you to finish your euphemism. <laughs> Oh, she ravaged. Uh, yeah, she she she, she ravaged had sex Mark. With Mark against his will. <laughs> yes. So she shows up to you know uh, the compound, and Adam Eve just basically goes berserk on her, you know, and because you know the that's the last time that she had no uh the last time she had known anything about anissa was when she found out about what she had done to mark you know 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so the second that they see each other, there's there's definitely a fight that breaks out. Um, and you know they have a little conversation. Mark Mark and uh, Adam and Eve have a little conversation where he he doesn't want to make the situation any worse than it is, so he's just willing to sweep it on the, under the rug for the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one, he doesn't, he wants to reconnect with his family right now. So he just wants any and all distractions out of the way Two, he doesn't want his dad to, to punish Anissa because he doesn't really know what he's going to do if he chooses to do that. Yeah. And he just doesn't want his parents to know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That too. So, you know, that kind of puts. That kind of puts that aside, but uh, once that conversation is over, we see Anissa flying back to her home, and yeah, we realize Earth. that uh, back on Earth, yeah, and she, we realize she's she's changed a lot over the years. She's she's now in a relationship with a human, and she's they not have as baby. hard. Yeah, she has a baby with this human. She's not as hard as she used to be. She. She cares about people, you know? She cares about this man. Yeah, she she kisses him on the head and shows affection, which was yeah. something that in 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 the past she had said, you know, these humans weren't worthy of that yeah. kind of... Like, she, you couldn't imagine that from her. Yeah, you certainly couldn't imagine that from a rapist. <laughs> Hello? I'm, I'm here, I'm here. Okay. You just uh, surprised me with your choice of words. Yeah. So, you know, we see we we get a glimpse into this like happy family life that she has, and then in the next page, we see another child walk up to her, going, "I miss you, mommy. You were gone too long." And this kid looks a lot like Mark Grayson. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's just where they leave it, but. You know the the implication is pretty clear. What's 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 happened there? You know. Yeah. What so? What, what happened, Albert? Uh, when she forced herself upon Mark, she accepted his seed into her ovum <laughs> and produced, sired a child. Of his essence, his herbal essence. Oh, okay, that's what happened. <laughs> Thanks for spilling it out for me, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should be a no doctor, problem. dude. You you're really good at explaining stuff. I I should be a doctor. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, that's where that issue uh ends up and uh yeah, moving into the next year, I'm 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 you know, especially next the next year being the final year of 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 story, I'm I'm definitely curious to see how this plays out, what this will uh contribute to the overall story, you know? Do you think that the Viltrumites on the moon will help fight Thrag and those Viltramites? I think that is 
Well, I think they're going to have to resist them because Thrag pretty much hates Omni-Man. Like, he's made it his personal mission to wipe out Omni-Man and his his Viltrumites, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think whether they like it or not, it's going to come to... Uh, it's gonna come to a head, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see it, uh, I don't see it playing out any other way. Yeah, it's too bad Thrag has a lot more kids, and they grew up faster. Yeah. Otherwise, we could watch a bunch of kids fighting each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you said that, because... One of the points of contention in the coalition was that one of the coalition members mm. was saying that, well, we've got way more Viltrumites. Thrag is just one guy, but we got way more Viltrumites, and there's an entire species of them. So we could, should just send them all over and just, you know. They, they have... that one That one alien in the coalition council basically proposed turning that bug planet into a rape camp so they could have their own army of Viltrumites. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pretty messed up thought. Yeah. Well, yeah, the idea being that she just wanted to have her own army of uh, Viltrumites to to challenge them. And Mm -hmm. Alan, you know, Alan having experienced his... um, his life and lived the life that he's led and having similar a similar background refused to have that happen you know yeah yeah do you think that was the right decision to not turn that bug planet into a rape camp so they could have their own super powered army uh i think that was the right decision not to not to do that from a moral standpoint but what would robot have done that's a good question what if robot had been in charge of the coalition huh that is a good question do you think there's some kind of parallel or contrast between robot's leadership and alan's leadership I do. I think Alan is what we would consider a more conventionally heroic leader. When we look at him, um, you know, that isn't to say that he hasn't had his moments where he wanted to do something abhorrent. Yeah. He fortunately, he he never the entire incident with the virus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was going. He was going to, but he ended up not you know, doing ultimately it. it was something that he regretted. Yeah. 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 So but if Rex was in his position, I'd have a, a substantially harder time believing that he wouldn't do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I guess you're saying that Rex Robot would enact rape camps to build an army of Viltrumites? 
I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't know. Huh. Well, that's something to think about as you go to sleep tonight. Yeah. Yeah. You can ponder <laughs> can ponder these these fictional philosophical questions of morality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh. Did you have any other thoughts? Do you think that this story is going to go back to Earth and make us deal with robot one more time? I think so. I I want to I want to say if I had to guess that robot is going to play a role in the final battle mm-hmm. uh, with with Thrag, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, well, Earth is kind of the epicenter of Thrag's hate right now, you know? True. So, so it's not just that he hates the Grayson family. He, he hates Earth, and he yeah. hates the Viltrumites that live on Earth. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting to think that part of uh, Omni-Man's first decision as a leader of the new Viltrumites was that he did not want to, he didn't want to kill Thrag. So his decision was to exile him instead to show that this was a new day. This was a new leadership. This was, mm-hmm. you know, this was a new course of, this was a new direction that the Viltrumites would go moving forward. And, right. you know, time and time again, again, we see these uh, stories that come up in Invincible where a decision someone makes forces them. Forces them to what? Can Personal... you say that again? Hello? Yeah, for, uh, forces them to do what? Them to reassess and re and confront their, I guess their their personal philosophy or their personal ideology. Mm-hmm. You know, or or they're like the decisions that they make, and it's almost like the most extreme version, or the extreme, the most extreme case scenario that forces them to really question how committed they are to their beliefs. You know. Yeah. So if Thrag comes back, it's gonna make you know, and he's he comes back at the head of this massive Viltrumite army, it's really going to make them question whether they're going to continue to try to be this more enlightened, forgiving uh, species, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you think Omni-Man made a mistake in the first place by letting Thrag continue to live you think you should have just finished him off when he had a chance that is a good question um 
I don't know, man. Like, having read comics uh, most of my life, I feel like the conventional thought is, you know, heroes don't kill. Heroes, you know, you use your idealism to to change the world, right? Like you mm-hmm. you teach you teach them. Well, it it actually reminds me of a line uh, that Robot mentions in in this year's comics, where uh-huh. he talks about looking at the motivations of villains, right? And yeah. he says, I asked myself, what did they want? And what if I just gave it to them so that I removed their, you know, the 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 evil actions, right? Yeah. Because if you give them what they want, then you remove the need to do something evil to achieve that goal, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's sort of like that, where it's like, It'd be interest it's interesting to look at, at it through that paradigm where well if you look at what Thrag wants, whatever his end goal is, is there a way to compromise with him beyond you know, but just by looking at his goals, is there a way to, to compromise with that and and work that into you know, some sort of working resolution? Yeah. Or is your only option to stop him, to, to kill him? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like, if if Kirkman's really committed to that idea, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see that play out. Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. Any final thoughts on this year's run of issues, Albert? No, I uh, I enjoyed it, and you know, it's we're coming up to the the end of it. And uh, it's a heck of a ride, man. It's a heck of a ride, and I'm 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 chomping at the bit to see how how this is all gonna end. Yeah, yeah, totally. Same here, man. I'm with you on that. All right, then. I guess uh, we can head on out of here. Yep, Do we yep. need to? Say anything about telling people to like and subscribe or whatnot? You no. Want pro- you want some self promotion, Albert? No, I'm I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'd rather I, not whore myself out. <laughs> what you saying? You have dignity and pride? Uh, you could call it that, but it might. Uh, uh, just spite towards people, towards uh, you know, other channels that do do that and do it with gleeful abandon. Don't most channels do that? Isn't that like the thing that you're supposed to do when you have a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever? Well, but that's the thing. I'm not a person who abides by the idea that I'm supposed to do anything. We are renegades here between the gutters. We don't do things the way that everybody else does them. Exactly. I shate upon that idea. <laughs> this episode of Between the Gutters has been brought to you by Between the Gutters, the greatest podcast in the planet. <laughs> Ain't no other like us. Peace out, everybody. Bye.
Albert. Yo. What did you think of the trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home? I thought it was fun. You know, it's uh, but I'm into it. I'm I'm you know I'm. I, I lost you for a second there. You, after you said you thought it was fun, there was. Oh. Yeah, I said it's it's fanboy bait to some extent, and uh-huh. I I begrudgingly enjoy it. You know, so you I took the bait. I did. I I'm I'm curious. I want to watch it. I want to see how how uh, they're gonna show the Sinister Six and uh, how they're gonna do the multiverse. But it's. It's one more day meets the Sinister Six. <laughs> but I begrudgingly, I hold a special place of hate in my heart for the fanboys that gush all over it. <laughs> Do you have love for one more day? Uh, not especially. Do you have any? No, not at all. I have. Yeah. I have. Uh disdain for it i have disdain for it yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) that was such a bad comic yeah yeah on the other hand it does probably mean that this movie will do that story in a better fashion because it's hard to imagine it's hard to imagine something being like that again you know yeah you would think that whoever wrote the movie read that comic and realized what they could do to make that idea better. Yeah. I I think that's, yeah, I'm fairly confident we're going to see a better version of that this time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not a story to be proud of. Not at all. Yeah. I kind of wish that, I guess I would have preferred that they not even touch that idea, though. Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do, though? I mean, they it already felt like they were... I, I feel like once once they opened the floodgates of the multiverse, um, everybody was just trying their best to to capitalize on that idea, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Marvel's pretty committed to the multiverse idea now, so it's it's not something that I'm particularly excited about or looking forward to at all. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. but being uh, a sucker, I'll probably still watch it. Yeah. 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 At I least after the just Eternals... a Huh? Oh yeah, go ahead. I said at least the Eternals didn't have the multiverse. Yeah, exactly. Another reason why it was so good. I was going to say that uh, I think because of all these years of reading superhero comics, I'm pretty cold to the idea of the multiverse. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I feel like people have to tell a really inventive story in order to draw my interest uh, towards the multiverse. Like, there, it, it just feels like such a, a lazy idea. And so many times in superhero comics, you see the multiverse just thrown out there to to give us alternate editions of 
yeah. characters that we're familiar with. And there really isn't anything genuinely interesting about them unless you think seeing Superman be a killer is cool or something. You don't want to see pirate Spider-Man? Uh, not as much as I want to see Viking Spider-Man with six arms. <laughs> uh, accountant Captain America. <laughs> okay, that I want to see. <laughs> I, I want to see. I want to see somebody who's who so embodies the spirit of the country that he does his job as an accountant so well, <laughs> and through his financial acumen, he's able to save the country from debt. <laughs> he's the certified cpa <laughs> certified cap <laughs> yeah captain cpa cap yeah. cpa <laughs> but yeah but so many other times the multiverse just evolves into a bunch of garbage like we're having something called the gwenverse now yeah yeah like the spider gwenverse it's pretty it's just a recipe for uh it's just a recipe for more junk honestly yeah and i here's what i'm gonna say Mm -hmm. i feel like for the longest time dc's dc had the the had the corner or you know uh trademark the multiverse they love doing those stories exactly and i'm not saying that marvel can't necessarily dip their toe in there but all that multiverse stuff on the dc end uh Mm -hmm. although that was some of their more popular stuff by fan standard like all that stuff just ended up making their universe super convoluted so -hmm. the idea that marvel is gonna like take all this stuff and like apply it to the marvel universe like mm-hmm. you're opening up a pretty uh risky door there by doing that you know do you think they're intentionally inviting a direct comparison to dc's multiverse to show everybody this is how you do the multiverse that's a good question i don't know uh, like i don't know that anyone can pull it off honestly cuz the the thing about multiverses is they're just naturally convoluted, you know? Mm-hmm. So if they can do it, if they do pull it off in a way that, you know, shuts me up, sure. Like, hey, if they can do it, if they can show DC up, I I welcome it, but I also doubt that they're able to do it. all they gotta do is is take jonathan hickman's formula from his avengers and new avengers and fantastic four ff and secret wars if they do that then i think it can work but if they do the kind of stuff that dc does that's not really something i'm terribly excited to see yeah yeah for sure (laughs) 